All right. Well, uh, today's a little different because I'm staying up here. Um, everybody else who's normally our, our lead singers were away, so I got to do all of it today. So uh, hopefully I won't have to drink too much of this water over here, but I got two glasses just in case. Um, so for those of you that uh, have been here and those of you that haven't been here, we've both been go- we've been going through the same series either way. Um, we've been in the book of Habakkuk, and we have titled this series Conversations, a dialogue with God about pain and suffering. Um, as we've looked at Habakkuk, we've seen that Habakkuk the prophet is sitting there in, in Israel, and he doesn't like what he sees. And so he talks with God. And the incredible thing, and why it's in the Bible, is that God answers him, and he hears from God. It's not necessarily what he would expect or maybe want to hear at the beginning, but he gets to hear from God. And so this first conversation that takes place in the beginning of chapter 1 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk asks God, God, why haven't you brought the wicked in Israel to justice. And, and he's, he's looking around and he's seeing all these people that are taking advantage of their position, of their power, of their wealth. They are being violent. They are being oppressive. And it's not what God wants for his people. And Habakkuk senses this and so he cries out because this sh- shouldn't make sense. There should be justice among the Lord's people. And God responds by telling Habakkuk that he is bringing the Chaldeans as a judgment to the people for how they have been living. And so this confuses Habakkuk. Rather than having that conversation be over, he continues and asks God again, God, how can you use this evil people, this people that's even worse than the people that are in Israel right now. How can you use the evil Chaldeans to punish your people? You say you're a a holy and righteous God. How can you use evil to accomplish your purposes? This doesn't seem to make sense in my frame of reference here in the 600 B.C. era. And God responds... By telling Habakkuk first to wait. And then letting Habakkuk know that he will bring the Chaldeans to judgment as well. That no one gets away ultimately with the oppression, with the evil and wickedness that Habakkuk has seen in his own people and has heard of. In the Chaldeans. And as Woodley touched on last week, we, we hit the verse that is the crux of this whole conversation in chapter 2, verse 4, where God lets Habakkuk know that the righteous live by faith. And so he asks Habakkuk to wait. And he says, Habakkuk, if, if you are, as, as you have been calling out to me, demonstrating that you are someone that cares, 
about righteousness, then you're going to be a person of faith and faithfulness. And so we come today to chapter 3, the conclusion of Habakkuk's story. And we see Habakkuk's response in song. So today's sermon is titled, Conversations Singing in the Dark Days. So we're going to look at Habakkuk chapter 3 in in full as it is in the form of a song. You'll note if you're looking at your uh, scripture, whether it's on uh, your device or um, on paper, uh, a beginning and ending inscription in the first and last verse of this chapter. And so let's read um, chapter 3 of Habakkuk together. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deed, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Temen, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you raise against, rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great way waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful 
in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Habakkuk. We thank you for what you have been teaching us as we have studied his story together so far. And we pray that as we come to your word again, that you would help us to see with with clarity um, what our response should be when we come upon our own days of darkness. God, we pray for for you to help us to, to cling to you. We pray that you would, as Habakkuk has prayed, be our strength as we seek to understand what you are calling us to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So there's a, a few different things, as you may have noticed, going on in Habakkuk's song here. You have verse 2 is kind of one portion, and then verses 3 through 15 is another portion that kind of seems a little bit different. It goes into a different uh, frame, uh, tone of voice, and that actually has two sections in it, verses 3 through 7 and then 8 through 15, and then Habakkuk comes back around at the end in verse 16 through 19 and reaffirms his stance. So as we, as we look at the beginning, Habakkuk tells the Lord, Look, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. He, he has understood through what God has spoken to him that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God is powerful, and he is admitting to the Lord, and he is confessing to the Lord, and he is proclaiming about the Lord that he is powerful. And so he asks them, he asks the Lord, Lord, I know who you are. I have heard of this, and so I want to see, just as I've heard of what you've done, I want to see that now. I want that to happen for me. I want to see you bring righteous judgment. As, as much as, as Habakkuk at the beginning of the book might not have been in, in this frame of mind, sure, he wanted the justice issue dealt with, but he wasn't expecting to hear, I'm going to bring this evil, wicked, conquering nation on top of my people. He wasn't expecting to hear that. But he is at the point now where he understands not the whole entirety of God's plan, but he understands that God 
is more powerful, more wise, and knows what must be done. And so he says, if you're going to do it, I want to see it. And then he adds on this tag at the end of the verse, in wrath, remember mercy. Because he knows, one, because he knows about God. He knows that God isn't simply a vengeful, wrathful God without any love, without any grace, without any mercy. He knows that throughout the history of his people, he has shown them mercy when they didn't deserve it. And so he asks God to continue in your character. Show us mercy again. God, I know that your wrath must come. But would you give us a little bit of mercy? And so he jumps then into verse 3 through 15. And some things that, you know, maybe don't seem related right away. And what he's describing here is kind of like an epic poem, part of the song where he is talking about God's greatness as God led his people out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. Verses 3 through 7 actually talk about the, the second part of the journey more focused. After they have crossed the Red Sea, after Mount Sinai, um, these places in, in verse 3, Teman and Mount Haran are, are south of Israel, east of the sea that they had crossed. And this description here in these verses, Habakkuk is seeing the powerful might of God as he goes before his people. His glory covers the heavens. His praise filled the earth. Right? There's, there's no room for anyone to get glory or praise except for God. Because his praise is everywhere. As we've seen at the, the end of, of chapter 2, right? God says, what are these other gods that these people are dealing with. They're jokes. They aren't even gods. They're just like some dude praying to a stump. Like, it's not going to get you very far. Like, you're bowing down to a piece of silver. You look like a fool. Here, we have a hero whose glory is filling every known space to man. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashing from his hand where his power is hidden. And we see in verse 5, plague goes before him and pestilence followed in his footsteps. As if God is this mighty warrior in front of his people. And he's sending plague out in front of him as like his shield bearer. And pestilence is picking up his train in the back as he goes into battle. As he stands, he shakes the earth. Right? We know that... That God doesn't have literal feet. This is a description um, 
in poetic form of how powerful God is, picturing him as this giant colossus of a warrior, that one warrior who can stand and shake the whole earth, who can look and a whole nation starts to quiver. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. If, there, if there's one thing, right, that we, we point to in nature that seems to be, man, that's solid, that's strong. Like we have pickups uh, like a rock, right? And what's bigger than a rock? A really big rock. And a really big rock is a mountain. Like that's, that's something strong and secure that we look to and say, man... You know, I'm immovable as a mountain in my love for you. Well, hopefully not this kind of mountain, because that'd be kind of sad today, since it's Valentine's Day. But here's God, as he stands, and the mountains and the hills crumble before him. As, as he is leading his people through the wilderness to the promised land, right, who... Who does the fighting on this journey? God is the one that is doing the battle. God is the one that is leading them. God is the one that as they enter the land, the stories of what God has done in Egypt practically have people surrendering on the way. Because they've heard the stories and they are trembling. They hear, oh man, the nation of Israel is coming. Well, that's not a big deal, but... Israel's God is with them? Oh, shoot. We are in trouble. And that's what Habakkuk is seeing here in these verses. The tents of Cushan in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. These nations are just sitting there in their tents and they're just like, no. Like, you open the door. I'm not opening the door. Like, Israel's God can be out there. We could freaking die. It's horrible. This is how powerful God is. He has a whole nation. Like, they're scared in the woods, like a, like a four-year-old with a bear outside their tent, just like, This is the Lord that is leading his people. As he goes on in verses 8 through 15, he talks about in the same sort of language. The Lord, as he led his people mainly through the, the crossing of the Red Sea, but also the, the Jordan angry at the rivers and wrath against the streams. Here, here's God uncovering his bow and calling for, for many arrows. This is a warrior who can split the earth with rivers. Just like the, the nations were quivering, the mountains see God and writhe because they can sense the power they can sense the wrath that is about to come. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens because the glint of your arrows and the lightning. 
from your spear. In wrath you strode through the earth. If you're, if you're not confident, you don't strive, right? If you're like not sure of yourself, you're not just like, hey, I'm here for business. No, you're like, okay, hey guys, I'm here. Uh, am I in the right room? No, this is, this is a God who strides because the earth is his. This is a God who strides because he knows he is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who is powerful. And there is nothing that can stand in his way when it is time to bring about wrath. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. Just dealing with nations as a group, kind of like, I'm the oldest of, this is really like the homeless man version of this. I'm the oldest of of four brothers. And so when I hit puberty, none of my other brothers had yet. And so we would play football, right, in the front yard, and I'd catch the pass, and all three of my brothers would, would jump on me to try and tackle me. But I was like three times as big as them at this point. And so I would just like stomp down the field and they would be hanging off my back and like kick them off my leg. And, you know, I was just thrashing my brothers around. And this is what God is doing with the nations when it's time to deal with his justice. That these nations that Habakkuk has heard about the Chaldeans, who everyone is scared of, who basically go around and do whatever they want to whoever they want because they're so powerful. God can deal with multiple groups of Babylonians and Chaldeans and Romans and whoever else and just flick them around. That is the power of God. He comes to deliver his people And save his anointed one. And crush the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. He kills him with his own spear. He takes the victory for himself. He says, I don't even need my own weapon. I'm just going to take yours and slice you up. Right when everyone, the warriors were were gloating. Because you have this, this nation of Israel. And they're sitting at the Red Sea. And... How long had they, they, they hadn't been out of Egypt for very long. And how many of them were in the army when they were in Egypt? They were all slaves, right? Like, they're like, well, I guess like we could tr- try and make a bunch of bricks really fast. Like, what do they, what, they don't have any weapons. They don't have any military training. They've got nothing going for them. And so here's this Egyptian army bearing down on them. And I heard it once. I was like a kid, this guy was talking about the sermon, because you have like, you know, well over a million Jews here, and so it's like this huge, he says the only casualty was the one guy in the middle from this two horrible games of telephone, where the the person got to the front and realized, oh, here's the Red Sea, and then, you know, started passing the message back, and then somebody in the back here, like they look over their shoulder and they're like, oh. Hey guys, the whole Egyptian army's coming. And some guy in the middle got the news from both of those things at the same time. And no. But, but right, that's the predicament that they're in, right? This is not a good predicament. These guys are, they're gloating. They're like, look, 
They're coming in their chariots. They're coming on their horses. They've got, they've got their swords and their spears and their bows and arrows. They're all trained at the ready. And they're like, we know these people were just slaves. Like, we didn't feed them that well. They aren't that. Like, even if they got one of our weapons, they're not strong enough to just go beat us up. Like, they are. Man, these guys are right from picking. This is going to be a slaughter. And right when this nation is so full of itself, that's when God delivers his people. Trampling the sea with your horses, turning, churning the great waters. He rides in his own horses, his own chariots to victory in verse 8. And so Habakkuk is seeing this vision of how strong and mighty and powerful God is. And and so he, he understands that God can follow through on what he said he's going to do. God, as we as we saw in chapter two. He doesn't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And so we get to verse 16, and Habakkuk is back recalling the words of of, chapter, of verse 2, where he's hearing again, I heard, my heart pounded, his lips quivered at the sound. Right? This isn't just, he's, he's seeing this vision of, the power of God, and just like, well, yeah, that's pretty cool. He sees and understands how awful and awesome the power of God is, and he does the only thing that you can do. Just as the nations quivered, his lips quivered. Decay crept into his bones to the point where he can't even stand up straight because he has seen the power and majesty of God. He says, even in the midst of this, that I feel like this, from the combined weight of seeing this vision of God and knowing that this judgment is going to come upon our people no matter what, knowing That God's people, the people that Habakkuk loves so dearly, is going to face this judgment. He says, I will still wait patiently for that day. I'm going to wait because, God, you told me to wait and you said you would do it, so I'm going to wait. You said that you're a rewarder of faithfulness. I'm going to take you at your word and I'm going to wait faithfully for that day to happen. Because I trust that you're a God that follows through on your word. Because you have the power to do it. And so then he goes in verse 17 and says, Hey, if the fig tree doesn't bud, if there aren't grapes on the vine, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there's no sheep, there's no cattle, all this bad stuff. Right? And, and for us, like living in a city, like, hey, there's no cattle around us, so... I mean, seems can't be that bad at Habakkuk. Like, it's pretty great that we don't have sheep just like wandering through the, the streets. 
Um, you know, if there's not food at this bodega, I can go get some food at this other bodega. But, but what's different here, right, is back at this time, everything was agrarian. If you didn't have food, if your crops failed, if you lost your herds, you had nothing. Right? If, you, if your fig tree doesn't bud, that means you're not getting any figs. And you're not getting any grapes on the vines. The olive crop fails. If your crops fail, not only do you not have food, like you don't have leftover stuff to have seeds to plant next year. Like you don't know when food's coming. Right? If you don't, if you don't have any sheep, like how do you get more sheep? Right? You have a, a mama sheep and a daddy sheep. And if there's no sheep, then you got no sheep next year either. Like you don't know where anything is coming. But he's saying, man. God, I know that judgment is coming, and if everything is completely wiped out, if, if there is nothing, there's, no, there's not even stuff for today, and there's no prospects for tomorrow. There's no earthly, circumstantial-looking hope for what might be coming down the road for us. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, even if the judgment is so bad that there's nothing going on but tumbleweeds. Somehow, I am going to find a way to rejoice in the Lord, who is my Savior. Just as he has redeemed our people in the past, through the exodus, through the wilderness, through the conquest, I can trust in that God to continue to be my Savior. I will rejoice in Him. And not only that, but He says that the Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. And enables me to tread on the heights. So here is Habakkuk, who after hearing what is going to happen to his people, after seeing the awesome wrath of God, is left shaking and trembling. Not on his own. Right? If you're trembling and your bones are weak, you're not going to be a mountain climber. As much as you want to, you're not going to get very far. But he's, he's not saying that I'm going to push through this on my own. That I'm just going to be faithful to myself and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tough it out. He says, no, the Lord is going to give me strength to have this joy. The Lord is going to be my strength. And so instead of having quivering and trembling legs, Habakkuk is going to have feet like a deer. Like... The animals that can so easily bounce from cliff to cliff. Jumps that would take us minutes to scale. Just hop over. That is the strength that the Lord is going to give him. I think back to uh, the year before I, I moved up here. I was doing my internship out in Ohio. And I was living with my grandmother, and um, her husband, my grandpa, had passed away a couple years earlier, but way back um, when he was in his 50s, they both, or he, um, had quadruple bypass surgery, 
And so he came home at 54 and like, man, I need to make some changes. So him and my grandma went like all in, like healthy eating, healthy pills, and they went all in on exercise. So like into their 80s, um, my grandpa got uh, pancreatic cancer at 81, and up until his diagnosis, they were still going to the gym four days a week to lift, and they would run slash walk 10 miles a week. And so uh, this is around the time when I, I get to my, my grandma's place, and uh, a month or so when I was there, she ended up having a fracture in her back. And so she had to go to the hospital, and so she's in this bed, and it's just not, obviously doesn't look well, because nobody looks well when you have a broken back in the hospital. Well, especially if you're, you know, older than like five years old. Um, and so all the nurses would come in, and, you know, as they'd go off shifts, they'd, you know, give the details of what the patient is. And, you know, everybody would come in and be like, well, where's her walker? Does she have a cane? Like, a wheelchair? Like, what's going on? And the nurse before would be like, no. Like, you got to hear this. Like, this lady does like 220 pounds on the leg press machine. And they just look at her like, that's not supposed to be possible. Right? And that's, and that's kind of the situation here. Like, if you look at Habakkuk by himself, what Habakkuk's circumstances are, what Habakkuk's own strength is, what, what pain, what anguish, what heartbreak he can bear on his own, you would look at him, and then you'd see him climbing the heights like a deer, and you'd be like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. And that's because God is going to provide him strength. And so as we look at this, we say, well, how, do, how does Habakkuk's song inform how we should respond in our own dark days? How can we sing like Habakkuk? Because we're in a a different place, right? We aren't hoping um, that God will restore us to the land of Israel. We aren't hoping that he's going to defeat our national enemies. But the, the, the steps that Habakkuk takes are the same steps that we can use to not only survive... but to be able to sing in times of distress. And so the first is that we remember the Lord, our sovereign warrior. Habakkuk begins by recalling who the Lord is and what he has done for his people in the past. Just as, and right, this isn't just like, in America, like we aren't very good at history, right? We've been around for two, three hundred years, and that's about, that's a really long time. That's several generations. At Habakkuk's time, the stuff that happened in the Exodus was like 800 years ago. And he can still look back 800 years and say, wow, God was faithful to his people. God is faithful, that's, that's me, I'm his people. I know that God can continue to work. That's like us looking back at what, like the, the 1200s and being like, hey, remember when God did that awesome thing in 1276 AD? 
he's still going to be faithful to us. Like, right? Like, we don't think like that. Like, I mean, that was before the Reformation, so that's pretty much the only thing people, that's the only cursory thing in the last 800 years people talk about in church history, if you're not, like, taking a whole class on it. So just the fact that Habakkuk can look back and say, this is what I cling to. But what, but what do we actually look back to? We don't look back to something in 1276. We look back to something that happened 2,000 years ago. Just like, right? Because here's, the, here's what happened with, with the people. They were, they were in Egypt in slavery. They had nothing going for them. They had no prospects to get out of slavery and escape Egypt on their own. They actually didn't even want Moses when he first showed up. But God said, you know what? I'm going to come in and bam, here's a bunch of frogs. Bam, here's a river of blood. Bam, here's all these livestock dead. Bam, hail, bam, gnats, like just going nuts. And they're like, oh man, this is pretty freaky. And then it's the point, right? He strikes down all the firstborn and Pharaoh is finally like, I can't take this anymore. Get out. And the people of Egypt are so freaked out. Like, they're, like, paying the Israelites to, to leave, right? They're giving them all this stuff. It's like the Israelites are sitting there, and the Egyptians come up, like, here, take my credit card, and here's my bank account information, and my jewelry box is back at home. Wait, I'm going to get that for you. And so here's these children of Israel. They've got nothing going for them. And all of a sudden, God comes in, bam! And they're, like, loaded up with, like, gold and silver and all this livestock, and you know, like, what do I do with this? I guess I'll go out to the wilderness. You know, like, God's taking us this way. Like, oh, no, right? And then they get, to, they get to the Red Sea, and they're like, well, I got all this stuff, but none of it is a boat. What am I going to do? Oh, here come all these people. Well, they didn't give us any weapons. Well, that was sneaky of them. What are we going to do? Right? And then, bam, God makes an aquarium that you can walk through. You're just like, whoa! Like, they didn't do any of that. Right? They get across, and now they're like, oh man, we don't have any food. Well, open your tent every day and bend down. Wow, that was really easy. I didn't have to do anything. Well, that's because God did it. Right? And so we were in the same situation. In slavery, to sin, dead in our trespasses. We had nothing going for us. And the wrath of God is on sin. But Jesus stepped in as our warrior. He looked at death. He looked at sin. And he conquered them. And now, we're sitting here with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not because of anything we did, but but because God's great, overwhelming grace. So remember that we have someone who fought for us and who is our Savior, which is the second thing, to rejoice in the Lord, your Savior. We remember what he's done and we rejoice in the fact that he has saved us. In, in the midst of, of all that is going on, Habakkuk says, man, even if there's, I got nothing, even if there's nothing for anybody, I'm still going to rejoice in the fact that God is my Savior, that the Lord saved me. I'm still going to find joy in that. 
It's that, that same joy in the Lord as Savior that has carried believers through trials throughout the history of the church. Right? Because, because somebody doesn't get thrown in jail and start singing to God like Paul did if they're either not crazy or are crazy joyful about the fact that God saved him. Right? When, when Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven, he says, what's it like? He says, man, you go and you sell everything you have to buy this one pearl. It's you find this treasure in a field and you sell everything you have and you buy that field and you dig up that treasure and it's wonderful. You're willing to get rid of everything else because you have God. God is with you. God is for you and he is your savior. And so in the midst of his dark days, Habakkuk rejoices in the fact that the Lord is his Savior. And as the apostles went out and endured beatings and beheadings and crucifixions and boiling oil and everything else, they endured those things not because of any other reason than that they understood that God is you could take everything else away. But man, you kill me, I'm with God. Like, right? That's what Paul said. Like, like go ahead. Like, I'm going to have a party. So do your worst. And, and this is something that, yeah, as I'm saying it, as I'm studying it, it's just like, man, it sounds like really simple in, in, in one sense, but man, like, I don't know if I want to be up here and like, like say this to you. Like that means I gotta like walk it out for you, so you can see like what that is. Like that means like whatever whatever our version of no crops, no herds, no seeds is. You know, Wall Street goes under, all the banks foreclose. You know, some drought hits the Midwest and there's no corn. Whatever those things are. And not just the physical things. Because it's... We're not about... Gathering stuff up here. Right? If I can't rejoice in any situation because God is my Savior, that means I've been trying to find joy somewhere else. Right, so, so, like, today is Valentine's Day, and I have to be single. And some days, like, it's cool, and some days it's not, you know? Like, those of you who are single or have been single, you remember, like, how that works. Like, some days you wake up, and you're like, well, today's going to be pretty sticky. And then the next day you might wake up, and you're like, dude, I'm rocking today. You're not even thinking about stuff, you know? But if you are during the day... And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I can't find joy in my life because I'm alone. Man, the Lord saved me from death. He blotted out my sin and made me righteous 
in Jesus, and I've got more than I'll ever be able to deal with in terms of blessings coming after this short, vaporous life is over. Like, how could, how should, why should a stupid day or a stupid week where I feel a little more lonely than another week take my joy from me? Because I've been, because I was looking in the wrong place. So whatever, whatever it is for you, think about that thing. When I have trouble rejoicing in the fact that God is my Savior, what have I been trying to find joy in instead? And finally, we rest in the Lord, our strength. Because man, right? Trying to rejoice all the time in these situations isn't fun. And it isn't something that you just like, well, I'm just going to do this. Like, maybe you can do that for like five minutes, and then you realize, oh, I don't have that much willpower. Like, my circumstances still stink. Things probably aren't going to necessarily get better. Right? Jesus promised that, hey, you're going to have trouble in this world. He didn't say, like, hey, you're going to get saved, and now, here, you all get the American dream as like a byproduct. He said, you're going to have trouble, but hey, I've overcome the world, so you're okay. And so we rest in the strength of the one who is strong. As we think about Paul saying, hey, when I am weak, then I'm strong. Because I'm able to have the Lord's strength in me. That's what enables Paul to say in Philippians that, hey, I know how to abound how to have less. I can do all things because Christ gives me strength. Not because, you know, I'm so great on my own. Because, you know, if I didn't have a lot, man, maybe it would be really, really hard. And maybe if I had a lot, I would find it really hard to think that God was the one that had blessed me rather than me doing something great and I wouldn't find joy in him. But because God gives me strength, I can find joy in every kind of circumstance. And so, if we remember these things, what God has done for us, and take joy in that, and use his strength, not our own, to find that joy. Just like Habakkuk has come full circle from honestly crying out to being able to, God, I don't understand all of everything that's going on, and I may not be able to understand the reasons why all of these things happen. But in the midst of that, no matter what happens, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my strength, and I can find joy in you. Then no matter how long the dark days last, right? Because during Habakkuk's time, the people were taken into captivity, it was a long time past Habakkuk before the people came back to rebuild the walls of the temple. Let alone a long time, because we're here, till God returns and makes everything right. There's no guarantee that, you know, as we're so quick to say sometimes in trouble, 
well, God will pull you right through and everything will be great on the other side. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. I don't like, like having to say that. My God's just like, hey, well, we're all going to read this other verse that I found in this other book and it's going to make us all feel better. But what's happened here is that Habakkuk has had a chance through his encounter with God to see what really matters in his life. And that's not how much stuff he has, how great things are in the land for his people, but it's that he knows and has faith in the Lord and his Savior. And you can find joy in that. So as we um, close, you know, the band can come on up. And um, we're going to sing um, a couple songs, one that um, we've sung the last couple weeks, um, Though You Slay Me. Um, and then after that, we're going to sing...